You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. And so I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles or unlock your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, I read a, a news article this week that frankly gave me a lot of follow-up questions. So here's the article. Uh, the headline says, Chinese zoo denies its sun bears are humans dressed in costumes. <laughs> huh? <laughs> uh, so I read that, you know, you hear the story. I'm like, why, why is a zoo having to like put out a statement? No, our animals are not in fact people dressed in costumes. <laughs> Well, to be fair, so here's a picture of the bear in question. So it doesn't not look like a dude dressed as a bear. Okay, I'll give him that. Uh, there's something to it, maybe. But here's, what's, here's what amazes me about this, y'all. Okay, so people go to the zoo. They see this. And their first explanation isn't, oh, what an unusual looking animal. You know, because they're at a zoo who's notorious for having all kind of different weird-looking animals. It's kind of their thing. No. Many people, that are, they, their logical explanation, they, they, they say, you know, I, I bet I know what's going on here. That zoo has hired a dude to wear that costume 24-7, live in the bear cave, eat the bear food, and walk around on all fours. I bet that's what's going on there. Y'all, that is how skeptical our world has become. We see something right in front of our face and we think, I bet that's not real. I bet there's something else going on over there. And you know, I'm sure you know, many people have that exact attitude when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to us, when it comes to the church. I mean, how many times has someone seen us and thought, man, I just bet they, they just want me to give me their money. They're just trying to sell some books. They're just trying to control me, tell me who to vote for, tell me what I can do with my life. I bet, I bet that's what's really going on in that building. That's what this authentic series we're in the middle of is all about. We want to look at what is the real thing? What is the real authentic Christianity as the scriptures tell it? Now, got a little bit of a warning for you this morning. The real, the authentic thing, it may not be what is most popular. It may not be what you've grown up thinking your whole life. It may not even be what makes the most sense to you. And I can guarantee you, it won't match all your preferences. This week, we're going to talk about authentic generosity. We're talking a little bit about how we live as Christ followers. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. And y'all, the setting is not what you would expect in a, in a book, in a passage that's about generosity. He's, Peter's not writing to a bunch of rich people saying, hey, donate some money. Take one less vacation and give to this building fund. Peter is writing to a bunch of people whose lives are very hard. He calls them exiles. So that, that's something nobody wants to be. Nobody wants to be an exile. There's a group of people that are experiencing all kinds of the worst sufferings, worse than I've ever experienced in my life. They have lost jobs. They have lost friends. They've lost family. They have lost almost all of their rights and privileges in society, and many of them are losing their lives. And it's no doubt about it. It is directly because of their faith, because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the guy writing the book, 
We think it's going to be, a, he'll live for about another three to five years before he's martyred for his faith. And in face of that, Peter writes about living generously. It's five verses. In these five verses, we're going to get four commands and one big goal of these four commands. And you sum it all up, and here's what we get. This is our big idea for the morning. Generosity is better than the best the world can offer and worth the worst it can throw at us. Generosity, oh, it is better than the best the world can offer us, and it's worth the worst it can throw at us. So let's read. 1 Peter 4, let's start in verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The first thing Peter wants us to understand is that generosity requires urgency. Generosity, living generously, requires us to have a sense of urgency. So the, the first thing he tells them here, the end of all things is at hand. And obviously the end, he means the second coming of Christ. He's wanting them to know, hey, whether you're experiencing right now the best of the world or the worst, just know it's temporary. It won't last. Something bigger is actually coming. And he says it's at hand. And to us, that kind of sounds like Peter didn't know what he's talking about. I mean, it, at hand, it's been over 2,000 years, and we're still waiting. So what, what gives? Is Peter wrong? We've got to understand what he's talking about in the original language. He, he's not talking about immediacy. He's talking about imminence. And so he's not talking time frames here. He's talking possibility. He's talking suddenness. He's saying all the prerequisites have been met for Christ to return. And therefore, it can happen at any time. The next step, the next step to come in God's redemptive plan is the last step. That's all that's left. And so he's trying to tell them, hey, right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and all it takes is one word, go. And Jesus comes back. Now that go, that can come in five seconds, five years, 5,000 years. We don't know when that command is going to come. Have you ever seen a football game? You can tell it's football season coming up. All my analogies are football. Third quarter ends, all the coaches, all the players, even people in the stands start holding up the number four. Reminding each other, reminding everybody, this is the fourth quarter. This is the last period of time we have to do the job that we need to do. That's what Peter's doing, guys. He's holding up the number four, saying this, this is the last period of time that we have. Now, the difference between us and the football team is we don't have that little clock counting down. That buzzer can sound at any second. And I find myself thinking this week, what, Peter, why, why lead with this? It sounds kind of ominous. The end of all things is at hand. Well, this is why. Because urgency leads to simplicity. Urgency leads to simplicity. You reduce your life down to what is most important, what matters the most, when you understand that this is temporary and there's something bigger coming. You know, growing up in Louisiana, this time of year in August, everybody was busy, much like here. And so, you know, school starting up, people traveling, people got a lot of stuff going on. And so if I was li living in Louisiana right now, if I called up somebody and say, hey, why don't you come over to my house for dinner tonight? I'm likely to get, oh, well, you know, schools and sports, and we got the thing and over there, and we're just so busy, we can't, okay, well, when, when can we get together? Oh, get out the counter, oh, maybe in six months, you know, it's just so hard to find time to get together. But then, 
All the weatherman has to do is throw up one picture on his little radar, picture that looks something like this. I think we have one. All of a sudden, everybody's got time for a trip. All of a sudden, when you see this, there's not millions of priorities, all these things I got to do. Really, all I got to do is two things. I got to board up my windows and I got to get out of Dodge. Unless I'm one of those crazy Cajuns that throws hurricane parties. Now I got to run to the liquor store real quick. That's all I got to do. <laughs> Urgency leads to simplicity. Now I know what really matters. Now my schedule's clear for what is most important. And y'all, the Bible, it's not just here. It's all over the place. The Bible constantly reminds us that the end is near because we will never, never be generous until we simplify our lives around the things that really matter, the things that will outlast and outsatisfy this world. Which brings us to the first command, the first command we get in this passage. Peter wants us to know generosity begins with control. So it needs a sense of urgency, but it begins with control. So he tells them, be self-controlled and sober-minded. This word self-controlled, it means consistency. It means clear-headed, sensible. And so we may say, keep your head. Don't freak out. We all know what sober means. Don't get drunk. Don't come under the influence of all your circumstances, either with the best the world has to offer or the worst it can throw at you. So he's saying, it's Christians, listen, we, we don't freak out at all the bad news on the nightly news or when the, the person we like doesn't get elected, when we're facing difficulty like they were. Listen, we don't get filled hate with hatred and bitterness. Neither do we panic and separate ourselves from the world. And you know what? When things are easy, we don't get lazy and distracted. We don't, we don't lose that sense of urgency just because things are easy. We continue doing what God's people have done in all times and in all places. Live generously, no matter what's going on in the world around us. You know, I, I'm not telling us anything new. I think everyone knows. Even, even non-Christians would agree, we need to live generously. That's a good thing to do. So why don't we? What Peter is saying here is it has nothing to do with your external circumstances. Not a thing. It's not because you don't have enough time or money. It's not because your job is too demanding or your kids have too many activities. It's not because of the news cycle. It's not because life is too hard or because life is too easy. If any of those things are holding you back, it means you've given them too much control in your life. You are no longer sober. You are drunk on this world. So generosity, generosity will only come when we decide in our hearts that God is in control of my life. See, there's an irony in this concept of self-control, the way we translate this word. The only way to have self-control is to be controlled by something bigger than myself. Because listen, if your life, if your life is all, only and always about you, you won't have any self-control. You will always be distracted by the best the world can offer you will, or you will always be distraught by the worst it can offer you. But if you decide that God is in control of my life, if you are under God's influence, not the world's, then you can be consistent. You can be steady. You can have self-control. 
That's why Ephesians, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In a way, he's saying, hey, be influenced, be drunk on something, not wine, not the world, but the Holy Spirit. Let God be in control of your life. Then, then you'll have self-control. Then you'll be so, sober-minded no matter what comes. So the, the first command has to do with deciding who's in control. The second tells us what generosity actually is. So this is what Paul's going to tell us next. He's, he's going to explain what generosity actually is. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. What Peter is saying here is that generosity is love. And we could just as easily reverse it. We could say love is generosity. They are one in the same. So when we say we want to live generously, what we mean is we want to love earnestly. Now, is Paul telling us to get butterflies in our stomach and pass love poems back and forth in church all the time? No. That's love according to Disney and Julia Roberts, okay? That is not love according to Jesus. Christian love, love according to Jesus is this. It's your highest possible good at my highest possible sacrifice. Your highest possible good at my highest possible sacrifice. That's why the Bible says, this is how we know what love is. Okay, so the old song, you want to know what love is? The Bible tells you, this is how we know what love is. 1 John 3, 16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's the picture of love. That's the definition of love. A person laying down his life, suffering what he didn't deserve for a group of people who didn't ask him to, who won't thank him for it, and could, who could never repay him for it. That's love. But you know, there's a, a second part to 1 John 3.16. The verse keeps going. And it says, And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. What Jesus did we repeat. That's what it says. So when we say live generously, guys, I wish I had better news than this. When we say live generously, what we really mean is die. Not die physically, but die to ourselves. This is totally contrary to the prosperity gospel that says the Christian life is being happy, healthy, and wealthy. No, no, no. The Christian life is your highest possible good at my highest possible sacrifice. That means, men and women, generosity is not just about giving money. It's not. It is sacrificial love. Did you know that you can give without generosity? Did you know that's possible? People do it all the time. Sir Henry Taylor said this, He who gives what he would as readily throw away gives without generosity, for the essence of generosity is in self sacrifice. The essence of the generosity God wants us to live with is in self-sacrifice. That's why he says, above all, above all things, this is of primary importance. This is the fourth quarter, hurricanes are coming, focus of our lives. You know, Chelsea mentioned 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter earlier. This is how primary and how important our sacrificial love is. It says, and I don't, but if I had the voice of an angel, the most beautiful voice you've ever heard, but don't have love, 
He says it's like a toddler getting his hands on this drum set back here, okay? It's just going to be an annoying, clanging noise. If I have amazing supernatural powers, y'all, I can, I can make a mountain disappear. That's how powerful I am. And I don't have love. Nothing. Meaningless is the word he uses. A penny in your pocket has more value than that. That's why, that's why here at Bethel, we say living generously is a core value. Because listen, if we're doing everything else, if we have the best theology and amazing worship and great programs and entertaining sermons, and we do all that without love, nothing. It's meaningless. He says we love earnestly. Earnestly, that word means strained. It means with intensity and determination. The, the picture is like an athlete, like a runner, straining to reach that finish line first. You know, I think this idea of an athlete, man, is so uh, telling about a generous life. Because, you know, no Olympic runner has ever won the gold medal through ease or by accident. I've never seen the post-race interview with the guy who's actually wearing the gold medal and he says something like, you know, I had no idea I was going to run this race today. It just kind of happened. <laughs> I spent the last year eating cheeseburgers and being as comfortable as I can be and then this just kind of happened. An athlete has to have a plan. They have to revolve their whole life around their goal. They have to push their body into great discomfort over and over and over again. They has to say no to lots of other things so that he can be earnest about his goal. That's the earnestness that Peter is talking about here. So how about you? Do you have a plan for how to live generously? Or do you think it's just going to happen by ease or by accident maybe? Do you push yourself with the discipline of an athlete to love people sacrificially? That's what Peter is calling us to. And men and women, I can promise generosity, it will never, never be convenient or easy. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. You've seen those medal ceremonies, haven't you? The flag comes down, they're playing the national anthem, and these, you know, bowed up, manly men are just bawling, just bawling tears of joy because now that they've reached their goal, it is totally worth it. You know what? It's the same for any person, any person you know who has decided to live generously. They'll tell you, you know what? Living generously, it's better than the best thing the world can offer me, and it's worth the worst thing that it can throw at me. And you know what? You want to make church really awesome? I promise. I've tried. It'll never happen just by some of my words or some program uh, that we put on. But watch God use you for someone else's highest possible good. Oh, Y'all, there is a supreme joy in that, and you will never do church any differently. You'll, you'll come here thinking, I don't care what that turkey Clint's going to say. I'm here to live generously. That's where it's at. So Peter, he, he shows us. Okay, here's the generous perspective. Urgency. Y'all, this is all temporary. Where does it start? It, does, it starts with being uh, self-controlled, sober-minded, because God's in control of my life. This is all his. It looks like sacrificial love. Or, excuse me, that's what it is. That's the definition. Next, he shows us, what does it look like? What does it look like when we live the sacrificial love? Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter is saying, be generous with your life. Generous with your life, everything in it. He's saying generosity isn't just giving away stuff, it's opening up your life. Generosity is not just giving away stuff, it's opening up your life, every aspect of it. There's an author named Rosario Butterfield, who I think is one of the best voices about hospitality uh, in our day. Now, for most of her life, y'all, she was a radical, leftist, lesbian feminist. Some of your worst nightmare, okay? But what do you know? She became a Christian. She writes about the role hospitality played in her conversion in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. See, she didn't become converted uh, through some masterful sermon, through somebody handing her a tract, uh, somebody giving her the perfect, irrefutable argument. No, no, no. A Christian family opened up their home to her and her friends for two years. For two years, they had them over for dinner. You know, with this family, they weren't scared. They weren't angry. They weren't even uncomfortable. They didn't present the Roman road every time. They didn't end every dinner with an altar call and an invitation. She says, though, they, they also they didn't hide their Christianity. They had countless conversations about the Bible, about each other's beliefs, but they also didn't make their generosity conditional on her agreement. So she encourages all of us, and y'all, I think this will change the world around us. She encourages all of us to what she calls radically ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality. She writes this, we live in a post-Christian world that is sick and tired of hearing from Christians. But who could argue with mercy-driven hospitality? Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. So let God use your home, apartment, dorm room, front yard, community gym, or garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Because that's the point. Building the church and living like a family, the family of God. Men and women, we cannot continue to reduce generosity to writing a check while I keep my life at arm's distance. Hospitality is generosity with my daily life. And then he says, what in my opinion is the worst part of the, all these verses. He says, do it without complaining. Oh, really, Peter? Because y'all, we can, we can be honest here, okay? Being truly hospitable, it, it is inconvenient many times. It is frustrating many times. I mean, many times people won't appreciate it. Many times people, you'll be busting your hump, working all weekend, doing all this stuff for other people, and all you need for them is to text back one word. Are you coming? Yes, three letters, or no, two letters. You can do it with, you know, one letter each thumb. That's all it takes, and they still won't do it. And here's my heart. Here's where I am usually. God, I'll still do it. I'll still be hospitable, but at least give me the right, let me retain the right to complain about it. Sorry, I feel like I'm working through some things up here. <laughs> no, no. God is not interested in us being a man in a bear costume. 
He wants authentic generosity. That means a hospitable heart, not just hospitable actions. Then he tells us one more thing, one more thing about how to live generously. Verse 10 and 11. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is telling us to be generous with your gifts. Be generous with your gifts. See, living generously means serving others. And here he's talking specifically within the context of the church. See, living generously, following Christ, it's a lot like being the UPS man. See, God, he sent all kind of gifts to this church. And guess what? You're the delivery man. You're the one God intended to deliver the gift to the people in the church. Now imagine this. Imagine it's Christmas time or whatever, and you spent you know, more money than you intended to buy your relative some amazing gift. I don't know uh, what you got, maybe a hoverboard. You send them to like the best hoverboard you can find on Amazon. They're going to love it. They're going to be so excited. You send it to them, call them on Christmas. Hey, did you like your gift? And they say, what gift? I never got it. I never got the gift. Say, so, oh, bummer, so sorry. Well, we'll see if we can send it, I don't know, da-da-da. And then that afternoon, it just so happens, you follow your UPS driver on Instagram. And you pull up Instagram, and there you're scrolling through, and there's the UPS driver having a great time on that hoverboard that you meant to go to somebody else. You'd say, UPS man, that's not for you. Y'all, so are we. When we take the gifts that God has given us and we keep them for ourselves instead of delivering them to others. So listen, if you're attending here, if you're attending any church anywhere and you are not serving other people, listen, I don't know another way to say it other than you are living in disobedience. God's word is too clear. And listen, if you're mad at me for saying that, you know, it's probably not the first time you're mad at me. But just know I'm not interested in you agreeing with me. I want you to agree with the scriptures. And so please test me on this. Pick it up. Pick up your Bible and read. Test it and see if just coming and consuming and sitting and soaking is God's will for your life. And, and I'll tell you something else. If you are not serving, church is way lamer than it can be. Way lamer. Generosity is better than the best the world can offer. It's worth the worst they can throw at you. Y'all, that is not the same for sitting and soaking. It's just not. And so here's what's normal in our world. What's normal in our culture is I come to a church and it kind of entertains me for a little bit. I don't know. I get some warm fuzzies. I like some people there. But then I get bored or I get disillusioned. And so the solution is I change churches. And then I do that again two years later when I get bored and or disillusioned again. Spoiler alert, y'all, that's not going to work. So what if, what if you gave this generosity thing a try? What if you became the UPS man for a church here to deliver gifts to other people? You came to church not for you, but for someone else. To deliver that gift to a child upstairs. Deliver it to a, a guest who's in a new town. Deliver it to the sound booth back there and all the people who are working to make all of this work. 
If you give that a try, I think you'll find generosity is better than the best the world can offer, and it's worth the worst it can throw at you. But Clint, I don't really, there's nothing really I can do. I don't really have a gift. There's nothing, there's no, I don't have any gift to serve with. I hear that all the time. I know. But let's look. Let's look at the scriptures. Let's look at the examples Peter gives us. So he gives us just two examples. And he, so he's not giving us a comprehensive list. This isn't in all the gifts. He's just saying, here's two. Speaking. Now, this is what people usually mean when they say, oh, there's no really, I'm not really gifted. I can't really serve in the church. They mean I can't preach or I can't teach a Bible study, which if I can do it, you can do it, but okay. <laughs> he's not just talking about preaching and Bible studies. He's literally talking about talking. And so it's conversations in a living room, at a lunch table, in a car, speaking to one of our guests, playing foosball with a kid, asking him about his week. That's all he's talking about. And he's saying, whenever we talk, make God evident in your words. What if with our words, even more than our opinions or, or the latest news and goings on or whatever it is, more than that, what if we spoke his words to one another? That's what he's talking about. And then he talks about serving. And he has in mind mostly physical tasks. And so uh, this could be anything from sweeping the floor to administrative tasks. And I know we don't usually think of those things as spiritual. But y'all, what makes a gift spiritual? It's not some kind of hocus pocus. It's that the Lord is using you for someone else's highest possible good. He is using you to bless others. That's what makes it spiritual. So essentially what he's saying is, if you can talk and or move, you can be God's UPS man. If you can talk and or move, that's all it takes. And then he says, God supplies not just the gift, but the strength. And so if you're here and you say, I, don't, I just don't have the energy for it. I don't have the strength for it. Guess what? You're right. You don't. But he does. And he'll give it to you. He will give it generously to you. So next, he, Paul tells us what's at stake with all this. What's at stake for our generous living? And I got to say, it is way more than we usually think about. Paul tells us what is at stake is nothing less than the glory of God. So the last thing he wants us to know about generosity is the purpose of generosity is God's glory. The purpose of our generosity is God's glory. That's the purpose of your life. Everything you have in your life is there to glorify God. And men and women, listen to me on this. That means a generous life is not a well-prioritized life. It's not, I got God first, and then this second, third, fourth, all the way down the line. No, 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 that's not what it is. It means everything is God's, and it is all for his praise. It is all for his glory. It's a priority list of one. That's it. And you know what's true in our culture? There are so many people, listen, who live well-ordered, respectable, moral, admirable lives that are all focused on themselves and not on God's glory. You know what? If that's you this morning, my guess would be generosity is always just outside your reach. You're just a few tweaks at your life, a few tweaks at your schedule, some sports seasons away from having everything just like you need it so that then you can actually live generously. Men and women, don't be under the influence of the world. You will never be satisfied until you live for his glory. And that is not something you wait to do till you have everything in order. That is something you do now, today. 
say it's all for his glory. So let's, let's track with Peter, okay? He's calling us to, uh, he's, and he's talk, really talking to a people whose lives are filled with suffering and telling them, earnestly give your life away and don't complain about it and then give God all the glory for it. Who's going to do that? Yeah, I think if we're honest with ourselves, that is a high bar. That is a hard way to live. Well, the reality is you and I will never do that on our own. And so Peter says, you may notice the very end, he says, all of this comes through Jesus Christ. There's something I want us to all remember in way of application of this passage. It's this. Generosity, it's a response. Generosity is a response. See, God will never ask you for something that he doesn't first give you in abundance. We, all we can do, we are simply repeating what we have already received from Jesus. He said in 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We have already received the greatest act of generosity, the greatest act of sacrificial love the world has ever known. Romans 5, 8 says it this way, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, we weren't asking him to do it. We weren't asking for a relationship with him. We were God's enemies. And while we were his enemies, he died for us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 puts it this way. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you may become rich. He became poor so that you can become rich. In fact, you can be adopted as a son and daughter of God because of his sacrifice. So listen. When we say generosity is better than the best the world has to offer, it is worth the worst that the world can throw at us, we're not really talking about your generosity. We're talking about his. We're talking about his generosity. You and I have received more generosity, more sacrificial love than we could ever give. And so you know what us, us living generosity, you know what it's really like? It's like being at the most extravagant banquet you've ever been to in your life, and there's more food on that table than you could ever eat, and you pick up and you take a bite of a morsel that is more delicious than anything you've ever tasted. And living generously is simply us turning to the person next to us and saying, you gotta try this. We've received way more than we can give away. And so what about you? What is your next step in authentic generosity this morning? You know, the statistics tell us that a lot of us are way too maxed out, either with time or money or socially, to be generous. So fix it. Fix that. You are under the influence of the world, so sober up. Make a plan. Love earnestly. Be intentional like that Olympic athlete. You know what? Maybe there's some here that need to be generous beyond just your checkbook, with your home, with your friendship, with your hospitality, and with your gifts. And then I think there's an application for all of us collectively as a church. This church exists to bring glory to God. Full stop, end of sentence. And so when this world, this community that God's placed us in, when they look at us, what will it be like? Will it be like those people at the zoo in China? They look at us and think, I, I bet that's just some people in a costume. Or will they look at us and say, praise God. The difference 
will be in our authentic generosity. When we decide that generosity is better than the best thing the world can offer me and it is worth the worst thing it throws at me. When each of us says, I'm, I don't come to church for me, I'm coming to church for you. I'm just a UPS man. If somebody wants to go buy a UPS uniform and show up on, in it next week, more power to you. Have at it. And when we say, my whole life, my home, my time, my activities, my budget, it's all for his glory, no matter what. When we do that, this community will look at us and say, praise God. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.